Good evening. Today is Monday, October 30th, and we're studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is uh, in the appendix, The Spiritual Experience, and our speaker tonight is Peter G. Take it away, Peter. Thank you so much, and thank you all for being here, and um, appreciate the timer. Uh, this should be somewhere between 10 minutes and an hour and a half, so uh, we'll see how much I get through. Um, I, I'm really thrilled to talk about spiritual experience because it honestly is, if I had to pick two pages out of the big book, this might actually be my favorite two pages, or it's certainly up at the top of the list. Uh, and I'm going to read just a bit from this um, spiritual experience on page 567. It's the fourth paragraph. Um, people can hear me okay? Great. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, he's talking about the, you know, the Big Bang approach to uh, spiritual enlightenment, uh, though frequent are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify uh, with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Um, I, I didn't even realize until I was reading this today in, in sort of coming up with some notes for talking that that actually just perfectly describes my spiritual journey. Um, it's almost like at various times I would all of a sudden realize that I had grown spiritually and hadn't even noticed it while it was happening. Um, so I'm going to, uh, I sort of organized this into the sort of traditional, what, what it was like, um, what happened and, and what it's like now. Um, I'll talk a little bit about some of the food stuff and focus a lot on the, on the spiritual stuff, obviously. So um, I don't think I announced myself. I'm Peter, gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. I've been a compulsive overeater for, I honestly think my entire life, even as a baby, I was described as being colicky and screaming all night. I actually think that might've been that I just wanted more food. Um, that certainly would be repeated for a good part of my life. Um, and until I was 11 or 12, <laughs> I do think I was probably compulsively overeating, but it was just sort of fun because I was so ridiculously active that it didn't really have any effect on me. Um, but at age 12, my metabolism and my activity decreased and my weight started to go up, but it went up actually quite slowly. Um, in high school, I'm six foot three. I weighed about 180 or 190. And my overwhelming memory of high school is thinking I was fat. I look back at pictures of those times and I can't imagine why I thought I was fat. It was just the worst example for me of, um, I don't know if it's body dysmorphia or body shaming or whatever got into my head that said that somehow 
my description of myself just was not accurate. Um, in college, um, I sort of bumped up to about 212. And I had this one summer after my sophomore year where um, I gave up smoking and I, I was just sort of obs obsessed with keeping my food to a minimum, exercising quite a bit. And was also, it was in St. Paul, Minnesota. It was the hottest summer that anybody could ever remember at that point. I had no air conditioning. All of those things combined to me dropping 37 pounds in about six or seven weeks. And um, I was down to 185. It was sort of like I was in this perfect bubble where I almost had no responsibilities my days other than working for a few hours a day. I really, I didn't have any of the normal pressures of like sort of being in college or being, you know, working or all those kinds of things. Once school started again at the end of that summer, and I went back to sort of having to deal with, you know, dealing with classes and my girlfriend and all sorts of things, my weight went back up again. And I spent, I would say the rest of my life up until about 2011, trying desperately to recreate that experience. Um, it just did not occur to me that I couldn't possibly get back there because I didn't understand where, where that little bit of strength for six weeks came from. Um, and I could never, I could never get back anywhere even close to that, um, even in recovery. And um, I tried everything. I tried a whole bunch of specific diets. I did pay in ways. Um, I had a meditation coach. I had five years of group therapy twice a week. You know, that therapy was great for a lot of reasons. It didn't do anything for the weight. Um, my and in the end, as I my top weight was at about 270. Um, I'm at 230-ish right now, which is I could probably lose a few, but it's a pretty comfortable weight for me. So why didn't any of that stuff work? Um, particularly the diets and the pain ways and all of that stuff. It, obviously, every approach to food that I took assumed that I was able and responsible to single-handedly control my eating. Um, not to mention that a whole bunch, most of those diets assume that you can be a normal eater once you get down to a weight that you're more comfortable with, that somehow you've changed yourself as a result of just having lost weight and that, you know, then you're happy and now you can move on and you don't, you can just eat any way you want. Um, obviously that wasn't the case. It wasn't that I didn't have a higher power. It just happened to be that that higher power was me. Um, I, because I wasn't able to lose the weight again, I just assumed I wasn't exhibiting enough self-discipline. I didn't have enough intestinal fortitude. I didn't have enough willpower. I wasn't working hard enough. Um, I don't know if you guys can hear a very noisy orange cat in the background. If it gets, no, okay. Um, I, but I used, you know, food was not food in the nutritional sense for me. I used food and a lot of other things, frankly, too, to avoid emotions and ultimately to avoid making deep spiritual connections with people. 
Um, it didn't even occur to me I could make a spiritual connection with a higher power, but certainly all of those things were meant to keep me inside myself and avoid making those kinds of connections. Um, I was always looking for the next fill in the blank that would keep me from feeling sadness, fear, regret, shame, guilt, even happiness. Like happiness was an excuse to eat. Sadness was an excuse to, excuse to eat. Anger was an excuse to eat. Fear was an excuse to eat. Everything was an excuse to eat. Um, and while there's lots of things that I used for distraction, food was certainly the first and the most powerful and the most destructive, I would say. Um, but it was ultimately only a symptom of the problem, which was that aversion to having a deep, deep connections with people and to being able to have that sort of wide range of emotions that describe being human, that are ultimately about being human. Um, so what happened? I, I found my way into OA in the summer of 2011. Um, right after I had stopped going to group therapy, I'd sort of exited the group. And I think to prove to them that I was ready to leave, I lost a bunch of weight. Um, and as soon as I left the group, my weight went right back up again. And, you know, anything I tried to that point just simply wasn't working. And when I had talked to a med that meditation coach I referenced, she had mentioned when I said I was trying to, you know, lose weight, she mentioned Overeaters Anonymous, which at that time I didn't, didn't have the slightest bit of interest in. Um, but at this point, you know, OA was really the last bus stop. There was no place to go um, other than OA. Um, so in 2011, I think in July, I looked up OA on the website. I took the, you know, the 12 or 13 question. It's not a quiz, but I'll call it a quiz. Uh, I answered yes to all but one of those questions, which is better than I had done in high school, college, any educational experience I'd ever had. I got like a 95, which was great. Um, and then said, okay, this seems like something I probably should be doing. Um, so I looked up meetings that I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time and found a 12 o'clock noon meeting. Ten was minutes. About a block. I'm sorry? Ten minutes. Thank you. Uh, meeting that was about a block from the U.S. Capitol. I sat in my car, didn't think I was going to be able to go in. And all of a sudden, I just decided I was going to walk in, which I would say was the first miracle of this program, because I would have bet money I wasn't going to walk into that room. Um, and it was not a, at least an outwardly comfortable room to move to walk into because there was like three people there. Um, and that's what that meeting was almost every week, somewhere between three and six people. So it was very small. There was no hiding. Um, but I went in and um, it just felt, it felt natural to be there and people were welcoming. And that was sort of the end of it. It was a place I clearly belonged. And I knew that by the end of that um by the end of that meeting, which was 45 minutes. Um, so I developed a plan of eating um, that worked for me. That's changed a lot over the years as I've dealt with slips and relapses. 
um, and recoveries and re-recoveries. But many of the things I gave up in that plan, I haven't eaten since, including basically all desserts, Um, almost all recreational sugar, sodas, those kinds of things. I don't know how much I'm supposed to talk about food, so I'll stop. But um, that's the next miracle. That's the next evidence of God that I was able to give up those things. Now, um, it's worth noting, I have a threefold addiction. There's certain things I really can't eat because I can't stop eating them once I start. I want to eat all day long. I don't want to isolate it into three meals, although that's what I now do is three meals, um, no snacks, one uh, one day at a time. Um, and I have a, a, a quantity or a volume addiction. Um, the idea of someone bringing me a single scoop of a cold sugary dessert Back then, I would look at that and be like, why would I even bother? If I can't have 12 scoops, I don't want one scoop. It just seems like a waste of time. Um, So um, the next miracle, I found a sponsor um, who gently guided me through the 12 steps, including step five that I was absolutely terrified of. Um, And, uh, you know... I went through it and the miracle, at least to me, was he had really no judgment associated with it. Um, I told him things that I have literally not told anybody else in my entire life. And his response was something to the effect of that must have been very painful to carry around for all those years. Now you've talked about it. That doesn't have to happen again. And... um, It's just unbelievable to me that A, I could get the courage up to say it, and B, that the person who heard it didn't judge it. Um, I also, you know, I attended and spoke at meetings and retreats and occasionally conventions over the next few years. I did service. I eventually moved to Nashville, uh, which is where I met a couple of the members on this call, um, and was able to do lots of service there and made tons of good friends with so many OA folks. And very slowly, I would say very gradually over the course of the past 12 years, 12 plus years, I was having that educational variety of a spiritual experience. Um, Like I said, I've had a few relapses and many, many, many slips But another one of the miracles that happened was I kept coming back to program. And for some reason, since I joined OA, I haven't had a thought about any other solution solution to the compulsive overeating problem other than OA. Even when I was in relapse, even if I was avoiding meetings and not talking to people, I never had the thought of going to some other program or some other solution or some other diet. It just never entered my head because I know this is the place I'm supposed to be. And um, I may not, I certainly am not always doing it perfectly, but I know this is the place that is home for me. Um, Over time and very slowly, I've developed a sense of my relationship with a higher power. Um, Five minutes left. Thank you. I learned, 
I've learned and continue to learn an ever-growing list of the ways that I can both, number one, connect with my higher power, and number two, see evidence of that higher power's love and guidance in my life. Um, and so what it's like now is I have a relationship with a higher power. One thing that took me a long, I spent a long time trying to figure out who God was or who a higher power was, what that higher power looked like. And I don't have a clue about any of those things. I can't describe it to you in a few words. I can't draw you a picture of it. Um, for me, it's not a he or a she. And if that higher power has a name, I don't have the slightest idea what it is. But I know that that higher power is a power greater than myself. And I suspect that power is so much greater than myself that I couldn't even comprehend it. If it walked in the room, I'm not sure I'd know what it looked like, you know, that I would even recognize that it was a higher power. I can really only think of higher power in terms of very, very, <laughs> I wrote small bite-sized pieces. That's an unfortunate analogy, but that's the way I think about it. Um, for me, God or higher power shows up in tons of small mundane ways that increase the chance that I will hear what higher powers will is for me. Um, those, you know, those places include attending meetings when I read the big book or daily readers or other OA literature, when I can actually get myself to sit down and write about challenges that I'm having and, and in that method, asking God for help with those, uh, doing the 12 steps, which I do probably in full one or two times a year. Um, doing 10th and 11th step work, which I do in the morning, uh, each morning. Um, praying, even when I think that praying is not going to work. Um, sitting quietly and pausing, reaching out to other OAers, um, sponsoring as many folks as I can. These are all the ways that I can, and there's a lot of others, sending food to my sponsor, being honest with my sponsor when my food has gotten a little out of control. All of these are ways that I can connect with my higher power. And the result of that is a growing spiritual awakening that has improved my life so immensely. Um, just among the ways that my life is different, I can so much more easily um, distinguish those things that are in my control and those that are not. All of my relationships, at least the ones that have survived, have improved um, in large part because I think of I'm not trying to control things as much anymore. I've been able to maintain my abstinence and recovery for over the past four years with some backsliding during the pandemic. Uh, and the last, the last bit I'm going to talk about is this is the biggest example of higher power working in my life for me. In 2019, I basically had the worst year of my life. My father died of pancreatic cancer at 90. My marriage just exploded. And at the end of the year, my former friends and business partners kicked me out of the business I'd been starting. I'd been, I had started 13 years earlier. When I, when I texted my sponsor about that, about the business, but kicked out of the business, his response literally changed my life and my brain. He texted me back in like 20 seconds and said, this just might turn out to be a good thing. More details to follow. 
And that has absolutely become my mantra about any news, good or bad. Um, you just don't know where it's going to go. And ultimately, it was a really good thing that it happened. Because I'd been in program for seven or eight years at that point, when I reached that horrible year, the only thing I could think of to do, in addition to praying and reading and doing all of those things, was just to go to a meeting, start listening, and sharing openly about what I was going through. That is literally the first time in my life, and that was at 45 or 44 or 45 years old, the first time in my life I'd ever thought about actually going and opening up in front of one or more people and actually doing it. Um, and it worked. Time. Thank you. Very quickly. Um, when I find myself slipping or lapsing with food, it's the nature of the addiction that I have to learn this over and over and over again. But I realize, I very quickly now realize that the food has gone out of whack because my spirit, the spiritual part of my recovery has gotten sloppy and I'm not connecting with people in various ways. Um, and that the connecting with the higher power, connecting with OA folks is the only way, is the only solution that brings me back into recovery and back into abstinence. I found God in those rooms that year I continue to find them in all of these rooms, including this one. I could not possibly be more grateful that you and people like you were in those rooms and on those Zoom meetings because you all literally saved my life. And I'll stop with that. Thanks. If I'm supposed to do something, I don't know what it is. You're fine. I I need I think I need to be co-hosted again. Okay. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, Peter. That was wonderful. As always, I you you never disappoint. <laughs> um we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask Peter a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. I will call the raised hands in order and the Zoom host will ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up? If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Claudine, let's see. Well, it's Claudine, compulsive eater in Nashville. Peter, it's so good to see you and hear you. Um, thank you so much for that share. Um, you know, I remember um, you opening up in that in that transformative year, and it was um, it was hard. I mean, it was hard to hear the pain and everything. But my gosh, to watch what you did with it and what God did with it in you was was a gift to see. And um, one thing you said is, I never had the thought of going to another solution, even in relapse. And I 
so um, related to that because when I um, stepped out in all my self-righteousness and anger after the pandemic hit and we went remote, I, um, you know, even though I had to hate everyone in the rooms and make them all wrong and terrible and everything else, I knew I didn't have anything else. I knew it. It's like the curse of recovery. Once you get a little bit, you know, that's all there is, you know, there's nowhere else to go. And so, you know, fortunately God grabbed me, um, through the friends that, that were brave enough to, to come to me about it. But, you know, it, it, you know, deep down inside that that's it, that's what, that's it. And so that really struck me and, you know, seeing evidence of God in the little things in your life, I just, um, that it's not these big, um, you know, mountaintop experiences that I always think, oh, that's what I need to see. It's just these little incremental things. And, and I get so much of that from my fellows where they'll say, you are not going to believe what God did today, or you're not going to believe this. And that it doesn't even have to happen to me anymore. It can happen to them and I can see it through them. And so that really is, that really struck me as well. And then connecting with God in all the tools that you named. Um, I just thought the tools were so stupid. I just thought this is, this is so dumb, but now it's like, you know, even something like a, something that is as simple as a food plan. You know, I think about walking on the bridge and, and it's, it's the rails I hold on to. I've got to have the rails. I wouldn't even think about getting on the bridge without the rails. Now that sounds stupid to me instead of having a food. I mean, it's just, it's so wild. And then, you know, a 10th and 11th step, somebody would say, well, did you do a 10th and 11th? And I go, that's a great idea. And then I, I didn't even know what they were talking about. I wasn't going to do a 10th and 11th step. And now it literally it cleanses me. And so it's just, it's amazing how transformative this is. And that's so evident in, in your story and everything you've been through. So I really, really appreciate the vulnerability. I'll pass. Thank you, Claudine. Thanks, Claudine. Amy B., you're up. Thank you, Amy B., compulsive overeater, living very gratefully in a state recovered from the food for today, one day at a time. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you, Yvonne. Thank you, everybody who's read and timed and just shown up at this meeting today. Um, and thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for coming to our meeting. Thank you for talking about Appendix 2. Um, I really strongly got from your share today that testimony about how, you know, whatever placeholder, higher power, God force does it, huh? I don't have to know the word for it, for it to work in my life in a personal way. I really got that message from you today. Thank you for bringing it. And it reminds me that I see that. I, I I said when I when somebody first sent me to OA that I was going to have a problem with the God thing, not because I thought that I was the ultimate power in this universe, but I couldn't imagine any kind of great force working 
in my life in a way that I would ever recognize and feel personally connected to. Um, And that I am so happy to say uh, I was schooled in the most amazing ways. And a lot of times um, the way that this power greater than myself shows up is not um <laughs> not how uh i thought or wanted or imagined or like when you talked about this might be the best thing more details to follow there are plenty of times where i'm like i didn't ask for this and the and the the resounding answer is oh didn't you you just didn't realize what you were wanting, needing, asking for all of that. And I say that in the most loving, not in a trickery kind of way, but in an I don't know what's best for me kind of way. All evidence of me getting here and being here and needing to be here, supporting that. Um, I, I know, you know, it's short share and I don't have a lot of time. I had an experience recently uh, where just like one of those moments where it's like too many coincidences all lined up where I just. Uh, there's this quote and I won't directly quote it because it's not from literature, but it basically says that like there is evidence of magic and I'm using quotes everywhere and sometimes we're just lucky enough to see it. And I had an opportunity recently where I got to see it like lit up and that doesn't happen real often. And um, I wouldn't know if I wasn't looking for it, you know, uh, What's that? There's another one that I'm not going to directly quote, but it says something like, you know, people who don't believe in I'm greater things will never see them basically um we hit what we had for we see what we look for that's my time i passed thank you peter thanks amy <clears throat> mia jt you are up hey thank you meredith um thank you peter thank you uh yvonne betty lisa everybody who's doing service tonight um i'm really grateful to be here um yeah the spiritual experience that's uh for me, I, I am definitely um, the person who, well, actually, I th I'm Mia JT from Lexington, Mass. I guess I should say that. Um, um, I'm definitely the kind of person who who is of the educational variety. It takes takes a really long time for me um, to slowly, incrementally, uh, you know, become aware and become available and become, you know, um, just more open and um and I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for, you know, <laughs> everything that's led me to where I am today. And uh, so um, I'm not actually sure really what I want to say. I just know that I'm trying to um, claim my seat and um, and be more available and be more open and, and to do service. Um, because I know for me, something you said, Peter, you know, like when I relapse, it is completely because I'm not doing enough service. And because I'm not connected with my higher power and I'm unwilling to um, to do the hard work. I'm unwilling to do the day-to-day -day stuff that is required of me, that I know works um, for me um, to keep me abstinent and keep me recovered. Because um, I know in my crazy brain, if I start thinking about maybe bariatric surgery is the answer for me, and this is not a judgment about anybody who's had it, but I know for me, 
I start thinking about that, I'm effing screwed. Like that's, that's how, that's my bottom. That's completely my bottom. And, uh, you know, cause that just, you know, I, I just know that that's not going to work for me. So, um, yeah, I just, just like I said, I just wanted to claim my seat and I just wanted to to say thank you for everybody for being here. Your old guys are always here and I'm always grateful for you. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Mia. Um, I think we'll now stop the recording um, for unrecorded questions and shares.